Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Hey there. Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast. Today, we are chatting with Christopher Perry, who's one of the co-founders and the CEO of Pretty Fluid Technologies. We go deep on their product, which they call Zentinel. Uh, We talk a lot about data security and rights, um, specifically as implemented in uh, large, medium, and smaller size enterprises. This one has a fair bit of kind of technology jargon, a lot of go-to-market conversations, which are really fun. Uh, it's a bit of a broad-ranging conversation with with Christopher around some of those topics, but really a lot of fun. I enjoyed this one quite a bit, love what they're building, love the direction that they're taking with the product, and I see a, a ton of opportunity. I, I think you will as well. Some great, again, insights uh, similar to last week's episode around early customer development selling. Uh, This is another founder that kind of pre-sold the product before they built it, which is something I'm super fascinated with, particularly in the corporate setting. Lots of conversations around what does implementation actually look like in a moderately sized enterprise and what are the implications to customers and internally how we have to change practices and behaviors. Um, Just Christopher was super transparent. Really appreciate him taking the time to do that. So please enjoy. You can find them online at prettyfluid.com, prettyfluidtechnologies.com. You can reach out to Christopher. I think he shares his email at at the end, or you can also find him on LinkedIn. Thank him for coming on the show, and thank you so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're chatting with Christopher Perry, who's the co-founder and CEO of Pretty Fluid Technologies. Christopher, welcome. Hey, Mike. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm excited to have you on. Let's start with a quick pitch for what you're doing at Pretty Fluid Technologies. Yeah. How long do I have for the pitch? Because this is going to take about 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) In your Uh, case, that might actually be true. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, briefly, we have a data security and rights platform that allows corporations to eliminate liability and costs associated with storing sensitive information and complying with regulations. Uh, We do this through our one-of-a-kind SaaS platform that we call Zentinel, which securely stores consumer data in individual containers accessible only by those granted permission. That is a very technical pitch. Let's go one level deeper. If I'm an organization that is using Zentinel, what does that actually look like? What am I doing or what, and what am I not doing? Yeah, what you're doing with Zentinel is you are transferring your risk and liability around storing uh, PII, or sensitive information into a highly secure environment, which allows you to lower costs uh, around uh, maintenance of information, around storage of information, 
and around protection of information. Um, it also affords you the ability to have what we call enterprise level uh, software, where what we built is really for the Fortune 100, but we're bringing it to the Fortune 5 million. And what we mean by that, it's, it's cost effective and affordable versus a lot of the solutions that are out there today. You know, you have to buy three or four different solutions just to have one product or one solution, if you will. And give a couple of use cases or examples, if you can, for how Zentinel has been used or will be used that just make it really tangible. So here's a fictitious company. They do X. They would use Zentinel in this way. Yeah, perfect. So I'll give you an example of one of our clients. So they engaged us to move all their PI information. So first name, last name, address, anything that they deemed to be sensitive that they didn't, didn't want to be at risk for, for a breach. And they move that into the Sentinel environment. And so now when they need to access that information, they send a request into the Sentinel environment. Their customer gets a notification that company A is requesting to use these pieces of information. Uh, and depending on whether it's contractual or non-contractual, the customer will approve or deny. If it's contractual, the, the information is just pulled. So really what this allows the company to do is process this information in memory without ever storing it in their environments. And and then in that particular case or, it, you know, in cases where you're doing this, are you then it? So one of the things you said in there early on, right, is things that are at risk for breach. Are you then indemnifying the company if there is a breach? And how do you prevent that breach? Talk to me a little bit about if bad stuff happens, what does that mean for the client and what does that mean for the data? Absolutely. That's a, this is one of my favorite questions. Uh, we, of course, do have indemnification policies for the company. But the, the beauty of what we're building is we are truly transferring that sense of ownership or responsibility of data back to the consumer. So Chris Perry is responsible for his data. So if I lose my password or give my key away and someone's able to somehow get into my environment, I'm responsible for that, not company A, B, C, or all these other companies that you do business with, which is a complete um, inverse of what is done today. Like what's done today is the companies are responsible for that data. So when they get breached, you know, Mike Kelly and Christopher Perry's information when that goes out the window, well, we have the, the right to go after that company for uh, liability. Got it. Give us some current stats on the business. Anything you're open to share? The idea here is for a listener to, are you still kind of two guys in a garage? Do you have a team of 100 people? Uh, this could be team size, revenue, number of customers. Could be something cool around individual pieces of information that you're storing and protecting. Could be revenue, fundraising, anything that you're open to sharing to kind of paint that picture? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to jump into that. And we moved out of the garage because it's super hot in Arizona. <laughs> uh, we didn't want to wilt away. Uh, now, we have a team of 12 people now. That includes uh, developers, QA. Um, you know, We have a COO, chief architect, product manager, CTO. And you know the team is continuing to grow um, sales as well. Uh, so we're, we're getting to the point now where we're really making a big sales and marketing effort. The company was founded in February, uh, officially founded in February of, of 2020. And we began building the product, obviously, that year. And, but we also were able to land uh, a couple of products, excuse me, a couple of clients pre, pre-product. And uh, that was really the, 
kind of the, the, the light bulb that went off for us. We were like, wow, we really have something amazing here. We're able to get people, corporations to pay for a product that we haven't even built yet. That's awesome. Why this company? Why did you and you and the, the early team decide that this was the problem you wanted to solve and, and what's driving you to solve this problem? You know, my my co-founder, Jeremy Diver, you know, he has an extensive background uh, in architecture and security. You know, he worked at one of the, the big banks. You can, you can look him up and see which one it was. But for us, it was kind of twofold. One, what are some ways that we can help corporations, you know, reduce the risk and costs and liabilities around all this information that they need to do their businesses, but without um, continuing to put people like me and you and Jeremy and, and, and our family in, in harm's way. You know, what we don't talk about are the issues of a breach, right? Like when, when data is taken and, and used for whatever purposes, there are a lot of malicious things that can be done with that. And that kind of gets swept under the rug uh, with, with a lot of news. So we looked at it from, you know, how are we helping people? How are we helping us, not just corporations, but how are we helping humanity as a whole, if you will, at least humanity that uses data? Um, and for us, it was creating transparency and creating responsibility or giving uh, responsibility back to the people who, who control that data, right? Or who own that data, I should say. And that's, that's really the, the impetus of why we, we got started to protect not only corporations, but protect us as individuals as well. So I've seen a similar version of this product pitch three or four times over the last 10 years, but at each time before it was less about a enterprise kind of data security platform for managing risk. And the, the three or four times I've seen this pitch, it's about how does the consumer monetize their data? And I, and I get that it's a very different thing, but when you look at how could a consumer monetize their data, it, the solution would have to look something very similar to what, to what you're building, right? Like the, the underlying architecture and how you think about it would have to, it, like there would have to be something that's very similar to kind of what you're doing with Sentinel. Is that part of the long-term strategy, allowing the end user to monetize their data? If, if not, why not? Um, is, that, is that part of what you've been thinking about from day one or is, is that just a distraction in your mind? Another another really good question. I think before you even get to uh, consumers making significant money from selling their data, you have to create a platform for that to happen. And you also have to create a platform that is secure and is transparent and isn't controlled by others. And, you know, that's what we're building here. You know, one of the things that separates us from, uh, you know, others that are doing something similar or, or playing, you know, in, in our arena is we have no control over your data. Meaning like when it's stored in the Zentinel environment, no one can access it other than the user and the corporation, you know, through through mutual uh, use. So other corporations are taking a similar concept, not exactly the same, and they're putting this data in a secure environment. I'm using air quotes here. They're putting this in the secure environment, yet their company this company that you signed up for can still access that data in some manner. So, you know, I'm kind of going around that question a little bit here because I wanted to paint that picture first. And from a long-term solution, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. But I think you have to have a platform that has already put the trust in what it is that you're going to do. So let me give you an example real quick. 
We're both on the Sentinel platform, Mike Kelly and Christopher Perry. Mike Kelly wants to sell his information, but Chris Perry doesn't. I want to be darn sure that my information that is on this platform cannot go out and be sold to anyone else without my express consent. And same thing for you. If you sell your data, right, you've, you've given express consent to sell your data, there should be mechanisms in place for you to know where that data is going. Not that you're just selling it to the whole world um, or you're saying, yes, you know, now pay me X amount of dollars for, for this, these pieces of data. So, look, I, I, to, to go back and answer your question directly, yes, we've discussed it for sure. But I think before you even get anywhere near that, you need a platform, again, that conveys trust, conveys transparency and, and security. Wise answer. Talk a little bit about a little bit more about landing some of your clients, your early adopters pre-product. That is like the holy grail of uh, startup life, <laughs> right? To, to get customer revenue or c- kind of uh, customer funding, right? Instead of uh, you having to necessarily self-fund or or bring in, you know, angel capital um, before product. And maybe you did some of that too, but but it, like, that ability to kind of sell product before you have it is uh, you know massive in terms of understanding product market fit and and funding that early growth. How did you do that? Uh, what were like tactically? What were some of the steps that you took to make that happen? Yeah, yeah, that was that was a tough one. Um, you know, I got on a plane and I flew to a few friends' house and I showed up with a bunch of whiskey and candy and chocolates and i won them over uh no it, it was now you know, now i'm <laughs> upset you didn't you didn't try to sell me if that's if that's what the deal process is uh I'll, I'll i'll send the whiskey and chocolates tomorrow i promise um so what what i did i i reached out to a few people and, and let me before I even answer this question let me just give a little bit of background on, on myself you know, this is uh, not my first rodeo, and I was fortunate to be part of a team, uh, co-founded a, a company and, and products that uh, had a, an exit and uh, a significant exit in, in mid-2019. Um, so I'm obviously repeating this again with a lot of lessons learned, and um, it, it's paid off. And you can see that in just the first 12 months of what we're doing. So, you know, before I even took the leap of faith, my partner and I, you know, we said, let's make sure that that people actually need this product and want to pay for this product, right? Like we, we have all these grand ideas and then we forget to ask ourselves, will someone actually pay us for this? <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, I went out to a handful of people that I thought could potentially use the product. And I said, hey, George, we're building this product and it, this it, the data rights, data security, it helped lower a lot of reliability, all the things that we just talked about. And I heard emphatically several times, if you build this product right now, I will pay you for it. And, you know, at first, the first time I heard it, I, I would kind of said, haha, you know, you know, I, I'll get back to you kind of thing. And then I heard it again and I heard it again. Um, so from three people of the five that I reached out to, I said, OK, I have something going here. So two of those three people that said yes immediately started paying us for uh, for use of our product. And that third is actually coming on board now. So it was really just reaching out to a few people. And those few people, and you're kind of like, well, why didn't you reach out to 20 or 30 people? Because I didn't need to, right? You know, our break even is so low. I don't need to go out and go gorilla hunting and take down, you know, Wells Fargo or uh, Bank of America or 
you know, uh, target where I don't, I don't, it'd be great to have those clients one day, but I don't need to go to them to create a viable business. I can take a handful of clients that again, play in the small, medium sized range and, and create a viable company. And that's what we're doing. And that's really what I meant earlier about bringing an enterprise level solution to the fortune of 5 million. That's what we're doing. Would we like to have the Wells Fargo's and things of, the, of that nature one day? Of course, but our target audience, our target market right now is really catering to, you know, the corporations that we really think need our help. And maybe one more question on this thread, particularly because you're doing enterprise sales and you're doing enterprise sales with kind of a a pretty technical solution, right? This is not bill.com. So where, you know, somebody swipes a credit card and they're good to go. So maybe on that theme of early customer customer adoption and unpacking a little bit more of what it looks like to implement Zentinel, right? There's, you know, there's somebody agreeing, yes, I want to use Zentinel, but now there's also the, they've got to pick which systems and data they want to leverage Zentinel for. They have to build out those integrations, start passing that data to you. Talk a little bit about at least those early conversations, and, and and maybe you can even contrast that with how those conversations are going now, today, now that you're further down the road, right? Maybe some sophistication that's entered <laughs> into the process as you've as you better understand, you know, what it is you're you're building and selling. But I'd love to know how do you overcome that, you know, before you build it? Is it is it literally like, yeah, man, you build it, we'll buy it, we trust you, and we'll figure it out, or you know, did you have to go into a little bit more detail around like, no, no, we're, you know, we're, we're architecting it in this way. So it's, you know, a very simple RESTful API call for your team or like, I, man, I'd love to just know a little bit more on those enterprise sales, how you get people over that. I, you know, in my mind, what can be a very fearful buying decision when it comes to, you know, bringing in a new piece of technology into their, their technology ecosystem. Okay. That's a great question. Um, and I'm going to, piece a lot of those together and let's start with the easiest one for me which is you know how how people signed up initially which was the trust factor you're right you nailed it it was trust it's like hey you know we trust you we know you've done this we know you know how to build technology uh, we know you know how to implement technology so with the, the the current client base that we have it was really more of a tr- more trust we trust you christopher you know here's our money just do what you say and that's it Right. I wish every client was like that. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Uh, and now now that we're um, again using air quotes here, now that we're working for clients a little bit harder. Um, yes, we do need to go down that path of, OK, you know, we know you've had success in the past, but prove that, you know, your product does X, Y and Z. Show us architecture. Uh, walk us through compliance. Talk to us about your uh, advisors. You know, I did mention that earlier. We have a wide wide range of advisors, um, all the way from cybersecurity in the military to C-level at, uh, I think, the second of, I'll just say, the top three healthcare provider in the U.S. So we have a lot of great advisors who have given us feedback and and information on uh, not only how to build the product, but how to approach the market. So when we're talking to these big companies uh, or even, you know, small and medium, we we go through the process of this is what we built. This is how it works. And this is how we implement it. What we also have the advantage of is working with third party implementation providers who help us implement that. So not only do we validate ourselves with our own information, 
third-party consultants uh, and advisors, and those latter two helped us build um, documentation on a lot of what we've done. So it's not just from uh, pr the Pretty Fluid team. This is from outside parties who uh, are independent in some cases. The advisors obviously aren't, but the third-party consultants are, and they build this, uh, this information for us. So that uh, has helped lend us a, a lot of uh, credibility, if you will, in the market for the for the groups that we don't know. And also working with the third party developers. Now we have the credibility from our independent consultants and the credibility from our third party providers. So, again, this is how our growth is really started to pick up is, you know, we don't have to tell you how great we are. We have other people that will do that for us. Perfect. Christopher, do you guys have any swag for Zentinel or Pretty Fluid Technologies? Anything you do for the team or for customers? I have swag in my mind. I do not have tangible swag. I would love some Pretty Fluid or Zentinel swag. If you were going to do something for customers, let's say conferences, like in-person conferences still existed. Mm -hmm. and, and you were going to this like, you know, several thousand person conference. If I walked up to the Pretty Fluid booth, what would be like in your mind, the killer piece to put out there? Mm. I've seen so, so many great swag ideas over the years. You know, you know, one of the, I'm going to give you one from my prior startup and because I have never seen anything like it since. And it's not just because I was involved with it and it wasn't even my idea. It was, it was my co-founder, uh, his idea. And we created a leasing wheel and our product was specifically for commercial real estate or that, that product was for commercial estate, uh, leasing and asset management. And we created a little leasing wheel that was basically like a paperweight, but it actually spun and when you spun it, it would say, uh, when it stopped, they'd have an answer like, you know, increase rent or decrease rent or, you know, whatever. But it was, it was for a landlord to decide on how to close it's, a lease. It's the magic eight ball of leasing. Is yes, that what I'm hearing? Yes, exactly. I love that description. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Uh, and still to this day, we sent those things out in 2021. We sent those things out in 2014 and 15. And I still, when people see me, they're like, oh my God, Christopher, those leasing wheels that you have were amazing. I still have one on my desk. <laughs> so so the, Zentinel, the Zentinel version of that could be the magic eight ball of uh, data breaches. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, do you want... Do you want to consult for a marketing team? <laughs> oh, I'm in. I, man, that, can you imagine how much fun those would be to write? Like, that would be so great. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. That's a great idea, man. All right. Well, if you need uh, your marketing swag or if you want to have a conversation like this with somebody who can help you figure out what to, to put together a swag, uh, reach out to the folks at Fuel Merchandise Group. You can find them online at fuelmerchandise.com mention startup competitors and get 10% off your first order. You know why I'm going to reach out to them for two reasons. One, I need, uh, I need swag. We need swag for sure. And number two, their company name is the name of, uh, my former product. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're 20 minutes in and I'm just getting to my first competitor question. So this <laughs> sorry. No, this is great. That's not your fault. I had, a, I had a bunch of questions in there. This is awesome. When you think of competitors for Zentinel that are out in the market today, who or what comes to mind? 
Oh man, that's a great question. Um, let me, let me think about this for a sec because I hear a lot of startups say this, a lot of companies say this, that we were the first and you find out they really weren't. Well, if you do research on what we are doing, we truly are the first. Um, this is actually an idea that, you know, we had almost a decade ago, but you know, it wasn't ready to come to market for several different reasons, but we are just now getting to the point where people are even grasping what it is that we're building and bringing into the market. So when I look around at the competitive landscape, it's still uh, it's still thin. And and candidly, I believe that some of these groups that might be called competitors to us are going in a direction that we probably wouldn't go, or I shouldn't say probably that we're not going to go for a lot of different reasons. I don't need to you know, give away all of our secret sauce and competitive advantages on this, on this podcast. But um, to, to answer your question directly, I, I think that the, the pickings are slim out there, Mike. Um, you know, one group that, you know, we, we do feel plays in the same ballpark as us is um, Interrupt, which is out of UK. And if you're familiar with that group, it's the same guy who uh, built the Internet or, or one of the guys or actually multiple guys. Uh, but he gets a lot of the credit. Uh, Tim Berners-Lee, uh, you know, they're building something similar. And where I think that they are. You don't, here, you don't miss, mess around with uh, competition, do you? Go yeah, pick up right. Home. Yeah, I know. It's like, could we pick someone else to like, you know, go up against? But, you know, look, we, we play on two opposite spectrums of the market. Uh, frankly, he plays in the enterprise market and, or I shouldn't say he, their company plays in the enterprise market. And we play in, again, the small, medium size market. And their path is a little bit different in terms of their environment and the way that they're going. So there's still a lot of, uh, there, there's some there's some overlap, but there are a lot of differences in what it is that we're offering. And how, What's the right way to ask this? So I'll I'll do it clumsily first, and then maybe at the end I'll be able to clean this up. But what I'm thinking about is like how much of a moat do you think you have, or or maybe the two firms have before you start to see a a bunch more competition, or maybe it's not moat, but head start, right? Like what do you think that head start is, and and when do you think you start to see, you know, more and more competition enter the market, or when you know when a when an Amazon or an Azure you know, spins out their version of this, which I'm I'm sure would be different in in many ways, but marketed in a very similar fashion. Like, how much of a head start do you think you have relative to the rest of the market? Yeah, another really really good question. I love this question, and we could probably talk for a half hour on this question alone. So, if you think about the number of corporations that are in the U.S., roughly seven million. You can pull that from the government website. Roughly seven million. So I don't need to to or we don't need to have seven million clients. We don't need to have a million clients. We could, right? We could have we could have six and a half million. I don't know. But but to answer your question, the amount of time that it's going to take for for us to butt heads again, if we were if we're all going after the the Wells Fargo and the Bank of Americas and the Targets of the world, yeah, we're going to run into each other really fast. But with the amount of small and uh, medium-sized companies out there, it should be, you know, we should have an ample amount of runway before we run into to each other. As far as like the big providers like Amazon and, uh, and Azure and Google getting involved, you know, so we get this question actually when we talk to prospects. Well, why don't we just use Amazon or Google? Well, you're already using them. 
but their teams have access to your environments. Well, no, they don't. Yeah, they actually do. Um, if you need, you know, if they need to get into your information, they can get into your information. So if they build it for you, or if they build a structure similar to Zentinel or an environment similar to Zentinel, I should say, they are just creating more of the same. We are creating a completely different way to store uh, your sensitive information and do business. Are we leveraging the large cloud providers? Absolutely, but it's still a separate process or a separate environment from their environment, if, if I'm explaining that clearly. Yeah, I think you are. Um, no, I'm, I'm certainly tracking with that. With that in mind, when you think about those larger platforms and maybe it's the, the, the big three or, or maybe it's not, Big big three that feels disingenuous. Big two, I don't know. Uh, but either way, do you, like, do you view them as future potential competitors, or do you view them as a, as channel partners, as a as a way to potentially get access to a, a broader market? I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, particularly when you go downstream from from those guys a little bit into maybe other hosting providers or even managed service providers who might be out in the marketplace where you know you could p- potentially be partnering with them to to reach a, a whole new market. Yeah, another really good question. And let me just clarify my last question. I said 7 million corporations in the U.S. I can't remember if we filtered that down. I think there are more. So if someone goes out there and they look up for 7 million and like, oh my God, Christopher's wrong. So yeah, I think it's it's filtered based on our target market. So keep that in mind. <laughs> there's no there's no fact checking on this podcast. No, don't, don't, don't worry about that. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, so, so to... Repeat that question real quick, uh, Mike, just the tail end of it. Yep. Yep. The short version is talk to me about hosting providers or yes. even potentially managed service providers as uh, channel partners. Because I, to me, I feel like that's also a great you know way for you to, to scale very quickly. You're, you're absolutely right. And oddly enough, we've already been in discussions with a couple of the larger providers. Again, unsolicited, reached out to me. And look, you've been in the startup world a long time. When you get unsolicited offers, whether it's for capital or partnerships or knowing about your platform in this early of what you're doing, you know, that's those are some really good signs. And we and we're getting that. And so so many different unsolicited offers, again, uh, ranging like, it, it, you know, it, it makes it much easier to fall asleep at night. But uh, to, to answer your question, yes, um, that is definitely an option for us and others working with these providers. Uh, and I think it's going to take either somewhat of a critical mass to get there. It might not be a large critical mass, but, but I think that will prove the concept of this product for those larger groups to say, okay, we're with you. We see it and there's a market for this. Um, and, and actually that was what one group told me almost verbatim. So I, I foresee that and it will be a great way to get our product out there. Again, this is, you know, this is not more of the same. This is completely different. And from a technology standpoint, completely different of the way we're managing data today, I should say. And from a technology standpoint, when you start getting into it, you know, for us nerds, you're like, wow, this is amazing. But for the layman, all you need to know is that, you know, your data is protected. You have transparency into your data, both the individual and the corporation. This is going to feel like a complete departure. Well, because it is. This is a complete departure (laughs) from the path of questioning we were on. But something you said in there really kind of triggered this for me. If I'm your client and I'm implementing this technology, 
do I need to be worried at all about a new point of friction with me and my customer? So, you know, previously I'm asking my customer to give me their name, their address, their social security number, whatever, you know, whatever information I need to complete their transaction. I'm, you know, they're conceivably, they're trusting me with that information. I'm storing it. I'm doing whatever I need to do with it going forward. And in this world, there's now, they have access to it as well. They can, I'm assuming, can revoke that permission at some point. They can, you know, there, there's other steps involved. Do I need to be concerned about how I message that to the customer, bring them along for that journey? Because this is not something that they do with every institution that they work with today is like, how are you framing that or explaining that to potential adopters of this technology? Yeah, I, I love that question as well. I love all, these are great questions, Mike. Um, and and they, these are obviously questions that my team, uh, we go back and forth with and obviously have these kind of discussions with our clients as well. But look at it from this angle. You are the client is building the trust or increasing trust and say building increasing trust with their client. Well, provide, in in many cases, financial institutions are building trust; they're not increasing it. So that's so true. That, that is, depends that is on the institution. <laughs> that's very true. Um, yes. So look, you're, they're building or or establishing this trust with their with their consumers of like look this is what's going on with your data here's your data you have much more insight uh, into this and again going back to one of the comments i made earlier you know depending on whether it's contractual or non-contractual there are different different uh, aspects of this but at the end of the day this is this is that trust and transparency that clients that you know you have been asking for i have been asking for that people have been asking for and now corporations can give that to to us without breaking the bank. And quite frankly, it's much more cost effective than um, uh, the systems they have in place. You know, we didn't talk a lot about that, but the clients that we're working with now, we're actually able to go in and remove uh, or replace multiple systems by use of Zentinel. Like that, that's huge. And we're talking, you know, I'm not talking about saving companies five, $10,000 here. You know, there's one company that we're saving over $150,000 a month by just using our platform, Whoa. like that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty significant. It's a pretty big company that we're talking to, but um, it's very significant, right? And I don't know if that answered your question and kind of went into another point, but but look, I think the most important thing to take away from from this is it's that level of trust that you're you that you are allowing your client to create versus you forcing that trust. No, just trust us. Like we're storing your data really securely. And then next week, you know, company A comes out. Yeah, we lost all of our data. We were breached. It was an insider threat or it was an outsider threat that 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 hacked us. We that That's what we're removing from the equation. Got it. How will you know when you have product market fit? I already, we already did. The, the moment we were able to get clients before we had a product, that was huge. The The fact that we uh, have so much going on from a pipeline standpoint, uh, I'm 100% certain that we, you know, that, that was actually the easiest part of what we're doing, product market fit. You know, if, if you turn on CNN or Fox or whatever you watch, you can, you can hear what's going on with the breaches um, or you can read them, read about all this information that's going on. So the necessity for a product like ours is there and there's finally need for it. Like people are like corporations like, okay, this is, 
you know, not everyone can afford to just, you know, pay two or three million dollars and then go about their business. I don't want to name names of corporations on the call, but you can do your research. Look, these these groups get fined heavily for a small, medium business. If you get breached, that's that's your company. That's that's it. You know, there are a couple companies that I've spoken to um, that have had to rebrand because they've been breached. Again, they're not huge companies. They're not going to read about this in the Wall Street Journal. But for them, you know, it, it almost crumbles their business. And for some, it does. So, again, this this goes back to um, adding viability to a company. You might not see it immediately, but the moment you're breached, you're going to see it. Right. Like you, you don't have that that liability anymore. Great answer. Great answer with one caveat. So so you've established product market fit. You and your team you know, b- believe you're, you're building the right solution that the world needs right now. Talk to me about how that unfolds over time. I'm particularly interested in as you get more and more traction. So, you know, you're doing tens of implementations today at the point that you're doing hundreds, if not thousands of implementations, God willing, good luck. That would be awesome. <laughs> First world problems right here. All right. Um, how do you know that you're you know, continuing to particularly in a in a solution like this, how do you stay on top of you know where the market is going, where competitors are coming from, and and where you need to continue to the evolve the product from a from an ongoing product roadmap perspective? Because I I think one of the things that that's easy to do when you get early success like you're doing, and and there's a big potential market that you can go after, is that you can just get stuck you know, implementing the solution that you've built. And I'm saying this, like, it's a bad thing. This is an awesome problem. <laughs> so like, exactly. Yeah. But, but you can, you know, just become very, very focused about rolling out the solution you have. And while you're doing that, somebody comes in and leap, leapfrogs you from a technology perspective, particularly in a, in a platform world, which is kind of what you're doing. Right. So how do you, how do you and the team think about that from a long-term product roadmap perspective and what are what are there any practices or conversations on an ongoing basis that you guys are doing or holding that allow you to protect against that yeah that's a, I love this question as well man uh, so uh, let me talk a little bit about my team before I answer that question so I mentioned my co-founder who has you know over 20 years of experience in finance uh, uh, my head of sales or CRO over 25 years in sales product manager over 20 years in product, and uh, CTO 20 year, over 20 years in, in software. And why I'm mentioning this is because the minds that I have around me aren't, you're standing, you know, we aren't kids that just graduated high school or, you know, juniors in college. We have significant corporate experience, significant startup experience, and we think about these things, right? And we talk about these things. And if you saw our parking lot, uh, you know, uh, let me define parking lot for for some of the, the listeners. <laughs> meaning, meaning our backlog of features or revenue features, not just product features, of revenue streams that we could implement in this. It is huge, and we spent. You know, I <laughs> we probably spent three four months just going through that uh, backlog of future revenue stream and prioritizing because. Again, when you start getting into the, the technicalities of what we're building, like this could change a lot. Not just what we're not just the sensitive data piece. There are so many other uh, additions uh, to 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 this data privacy and data rights 
that could, again, completely change how we do business across a lot of different industries. And we're just, this is the one that we're starting with because this is the one that we were able to validate quickly. And this is the one that we, we know that we're able to scale quickly. I think that answered the question. Uh, but again, just to, just to reiterate, yes, we're thinking about those uh, different revenue streams. And the last thing that's going to happen with with pretty fluid technologies is that we get stale with what we're rolling out now with Sentinel. It, we're already talking about the next pieces of revenue streams that we're going to bolt on next. Awesome. Are, are you guys, you know, and again, don't forget you're allowed to say pass. Are you guys bootstrapped? The short answer to that is yes, and that's because we can be for several different reasons. Um, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we are very close to break even. And for us growing, we can have a very successful company growing organically, growing at our own pace, or we can go out and raise capital. And like I mentioned before, you know, this is not uh, my first rodeo, and it is my first time not actively seeking capital. Uh, have we been approached? Yes, which again, um, you've been around startups long enough to know uh, that it's not it's not very common for others to uh, do uh, come out with unsolicited capital uh, offers. Yep. And that has happened on several occasions with us, so much so uh, that my co-founder and I have actually been you know talking about you know do, do we do you know is this something that we entertain? So look, we we are open to partnering with the right capital partners, but we're not out seeking capital just to have capital. And it's a great answer. All right, Christopher, uh, we're a little bit over time. My fault, not yours. <laughs> your, your answers are on point. If folks want to learn more about Zentinel or what you're doing with Pretty Fluid Technologies, where's the best place for them to do that? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah. You can find us obviously on the www uh, at prettyfluid.com or prettyfluidtechnologies.com. Uh, please feel free to shoot me an email at C Perry, that's P as in Paul, Edward Robert Robert Yo-Yo at prettyfluid.com. And I'm obviously on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, man, thank you so much for doing this. We might have you on at some point for a round two to, to go deeper on uh, some of the corporate implementation stuff because I, it, it's a topic we don't hit very often on this podcast. And it's it's one that I think for people who are doing, you know, enterprise B2B sales could, could be worth diving in a little bit more. Um, but uh, just really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. We would love to be on the show again. Appreciate you reaching out, Mike, and uh, have a great rest of your week. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.